Well, good morning. 40 minutes or so, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it is, it is good to be here uh, this morning. I'd like to start off with a, uh, a story, um, <laughs> a not very flattering story of myself, but that's okay. Um, so I, how many of you have ever been on vacation in, in Florida? Okay, how many of you have ever been on vacation in Florida? Okay, so I've been several times. Um, there was a point in my life where uh, it was the go-to destination. I, I was like, listen, I will do anything I can to, uh, to get to Disney. I, I loved Disney World. It was, it was my favorite place in the world. Um, it still kind of is, um, just because there's a lot of memories there. Julie and I took our, our honeymoon there. Um, Dad, and I ha- Dad and Mom and I have, have great memories there. Um, we probably went, what, three or four times when, when, I, was, when I was younger. Um, I've got some not-so-great memories uh, of, of Disney as well. Uh, I went uh, my freshman year of high school. I was at a uh, Catholic school, large Catholic school in Philadelphia, and um, I... Uh, I, <laughs> I went with the band, uh, the marching band. Um, I was actually, I was only in eighth grade at the time. I thought I was a freshman. I was only in eighth grade and I went with the high school band. Um, and uh, I got an education um, on the way down there. Uh, it, was, it was not an environment for an eighth grader. Um, it was not an environment where, uh, you know, uh, boys and girls should have been allowed to be together uh, in close confinement for more than a day. Um, but uh, I learned a lot. It was, it was not a great experience for me, but I, I did learn a lot uh, on that trip. But one of the times that mom and I went down there and dad, um, we, uh, it was probably my freshman year of, of high school, um, so I actually got to go two years in a row. Yes, I am an only child, and yes, I am a spoiled brat. Um, so I got to go two years in a row, and um, I don't know whose idea it was. I can guarantee you it was not my dad's idea, but uh, there was this place just outside of Orlando that had a, a very large pool, for lack of a better term, um, and the pool was probably about 18 feet deep and maybe about I don't know, 40, maybe 30 or 40 yards long. And, you know, you see these, these great videos of people swimming with, with dolphins. Like, you know, it's like, oh, go swim with the dolphins. That'll be, that'll be fun. That'll be exciting. Uh, for whatever reason, we chose the shark tank. Um, and I had never been snorkeling before. I had never worn a snorkel in my life. Um, I barely had an opportunity to wear a life, uh, life jacket. Uh, or a flotation device, as they're called today, because they don't save your life, right? Um, so, uh, so I'd never even experienced what it was like to swim in a um, in a in a uh, a flotation device before. But I remember the instructions that were given um, right before I got in the water, and I remember vividly them telling us a few things. Uh, number one was, do not make any sudden movements. Okay, um, don't make any sudden movements. Uh, the Navy used to put out a, uh, um, a video, a shark safety video back in the day, and one of the things that they told the sailors if they found down, fell in the water to do was to actually splash. Now we found out that that's actually the wrong thing to do, um, is flail about like you're injured. Um, you know, the sharks kind of see that, and they're like, oh, an easy, easy meal. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing was, for whatever reason, 
you were required to just swim straight across. Don't swim around, you know, like, you know, like zigzag or anything. And at all costs, do not turn back. Don't turn back. So it was my turn to get in the water. And I get in the water, and again, never had a snorkel before, but I was nervous. Like, you know, I'm, I, you don't see the sharks from, from where you're standing. You can't kind of see down in there. It's only when you put the goggles on and look down that you realize that you're in trouble. Um, so I, I get in the water, and for the first maybe, I don't know, 15 yards, I'm thinking to myself, I'm just getting to the other side. Like, that was, that was my goal, was to just get to the other side. But then I started thinking to myself, no, this is an experience. I should experience it. I should look down and see what's actually there. Like, maybe there aren't big sharks. And I looked down. And when I looked down, I remember vividly that I forgot everything they told me in those instructions. Uh, to the point where I forgot how to breathe. Um, the snorkel was on my mouth, and I can remember this feeling and this noise that I made, which was, <laughs> and I'm looking down, and there's, there's hammerhead sharks. There's tiger sharks. There's sharks that I had never even seen before. One of them had this, like, big tail, like a whip or whatever, and I was like, I was scared out of my mind. And I wasn't quite, I was not quite, halfway, and I remembered the instruction of the people, and I said, nope, and I started swimming backwards, back to, sh I, I looked, I said, listen, it's further to go that way, like, and there's more sharks over there, I'm going back this way, so I start flailing, because I can swim, I can't swim in a life preserver, because I've never swum in it, so I'm, I'm splashing, and they're yelling at me, they're like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it, I didn't care, someone could have jumped in the water, and basically drugged me across, I would have drowned them, I, I'm going to tell you, I would have drowned them, I was in a complete panic, Fear had totally gripped me, and all sense went right out the window. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it that I was in that situation? Well, it was my parents' fault because I wasn't 18, right? No. It was my fault. I got very clear instructions. And I chose to let an emotion take me over. There was no calming me down. There was no talking sense into me. There was no nothing. I was completely gripped by fear. In our passage this morning, uh, Jesus is, uh, is going to start off here in, in John chapter 16, and he's not going to speak to them very plainly in this first section here. I'm going to take two weeks here. Um, so again, that by you know my standards, that'll be about two hours of your life. No, I'm, I'm hoping not to go an hour today. Um, but in our first passage here, Jesus is going to speak to them in a figure of speech. He's not going to speak to them plainly. The second half of our passage, next week, he is going to begin to speak to them plainly. As, as we heard Coach uh, share this morning as she read, there's definitely two different speeches that Jesus gives to his disciples here. And we open up here in John chapter 16, 
verse 16. And Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. Some of the disciples said this to one another. What is it that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... So they were saying, Why does he, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourself? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and a little while, then you will see me. Jesus keeps using this phrase, a little while. Now, if Jesus was speaking plainly to his disciples here, he would tell them. He would say, listen, guys, it's Thursday night. We just, we just, we just had a great meal together, beautiful meal together. Uh, we had a little bit of an interruption, but most of you guys did not understand what that interruption was about when Judas stood up and, you know, I told him to go do what he's about to do quickly. We had a little interruption, but things are going pretty good. I mean, it seems like, you know, uh, we had the triumphal entry. Um, We've had, you know, some great success here. We just had a great meal together. And now, Jesus, you're talking about a little while. It's Thursday night. It would be one thing if Jesus said, hey, listen, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to die. And you will not see me. By this time Tomorrow, before the, before the sun sets, I am going to the Father. Before too long, you will be standing at my grave. And you will not see me. That would be plain, right? That would be, that would be the normal, plain way to say those things. But Jesus chooses to use this term, a little while. You will see me no longer. And then in a little while, you will see me. The disciples are completely confused. Remember, several times in this discourse, this farewell discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples here, he has told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let fear take over here. I am going to share with you some difficult things. Don't be afraid, because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. But the disciples are afraid. They're confused. And they're sad. Because Jesus has told them, in a little while I'm going away. You know what? I used to play this, uh, this game on my phone. I play a lot of games on my phone. But uh, I played a game on my phone. And I don't know what the name of the game was. But basically, you took two different elements. Okay, So you would take uh, rain and dirt. And you just drag them over top of each other and you'd create a new thing. But well, what do you get when you combine rain with dirt? Mud. You get mud. And I was like, oh, cool, mud. All right, great. Um, and then you would take mud and combine it with something else and you'd get, you know, you'd, uh, you'd get, uh, you know, mud and fire and, and you would get a, a bowl, you know. And it's like, oh, I created a bowl, you know, out of, out of clay here. Um, and, and it was all of these things. Well, the question I have for you this morning is what do you get? When you combine sorrow and confusion, usually you get panic. 
usually you get panic. Because people don't understand what's going on. The disciples have no idea what's happening here. And they're letting fear and sorrow start to well up in them. Jesus does something here, though. Jesus, (laughs) our Savior, does something only Jesus can do. When Jesus says that he's going away for a little while, we just said he's speaking of his death. Is Jesus concerned about that part of the equation right now? No. He's focused on the sorrow and the confusion of his friends. If we were to weigh it out and we were to say, okay, uh, we've got the disciples over here who are confused and sad, maybe scared, terrified, panicking a bit, emotionally distraught, and then we have Jesus over here who's about to experience emotional, physical, pain, death on a cross, separation from God. Who's got the worst end of the deal here? Jesus has the worst end of the deal, right? I mean, by far. He tells them flat out, listen, it's, it's just a little while. It's just a little while that you're going to suffer. But then you will see me. They're freaking out because they don't understand, and there's a reason that they don't understand. Um, verse 20 here. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Two key points here that we see from the beginning of this, of this passage here. The first key point is that Jesus sees their suffering. Jesus sees their suffering. That's on your, on your notes right there. Or Jesus knows their suffering. You have a slash there. Eventually we're going to get to the fact that Jesus knows our suffering, but he definitely knows their suffering. Why? Because Jesus can look on the heart. See, the problem with the disciples is they're still looking at the exterior. They're still looking at what happens because guess what? They're men or women. They're disciples, right? But man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Jesus understands when we are suffering and when we are in sorrow. The second point here is that Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. There have been many times in my life where I have felt um, sad, sorrow, fearful, and I felt alone. I felt like there was no one else to turn to, that no one understood me, that no one, no one could possibly ever love me. See, growing up... Um, Growing up in, in Philadelphia, uh, in eighth grade, uh, seventh and eighth grade, I was not five foot tall yet. And I've probably shared this with you before. I wasn't five foot tall yet. People ask me all the time, oh, did you play basketball? Did you do this? And I was like, no. I was, you know, 
I didn't grow until my, my sophomore and junior year of high school, and I didn't stop growing until after I was out of college. I was still learning how to walk, forget basketball. Like, I was, you know, I was, I was trying to fit into this body. But again, in seventh grade, I wasn't five foot tall yet. Um, I had braces. I had headgear. This, this kind of reminds me of the, you know, of the headgear I had when I put it on. I was like, ooh, I remember this. Um, except I don't have pain in the front. Um, I had braces. I had glasses. Listen, there's a reason I shaved my head, okay? Um, I have never liked my hair. I've never been to a point where I'm like, you know what? I got a nice head of hair. I look around here and I'm like, man, there's so many guys that are, that are older than me. Um, that have more hair than I do. And it makes me frustrated and angry. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm gone. When Josiah, Josiah's not older than me, but when Josiah cut his hair, I was like, why? It's like, it's beautiful. He cuts his hair. I'm like, oh, he still looks amazing, jerk. Um, Anyway, I was not the poster child for, you know, uh, the cool kid in school. There was a lot of suffering, and I felt alone. I felt like nobody would love me. My view of God was that God tolerated me. God didn't love me. God was waiting for me to make a mistake. He was concerned with my sin and punishing my sin at every opportunity he got. That was the God that I served. That's not the Jesus we see here. The Jesus we see here is not concerned with his own pain and suffering. He's not concerned with the fact that they're not getting it. That's not even his concern. His concern is the way that they are feeling right now. And he says to them, it's only going to last a little while. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus is telling them the future here. He's saying, listen, when I go, this is what is going to happen. Why does Jesus tell them this? To be a comfort to them, right? Can you imagine if he was just like, yeah, I'm leaving. Um, Some stuff's going to happen, and then you'll see me in a bit. No, he is specific. He says, listen, when I die, when I'm gone, The world will rejoice. Here's a side note for you guys, okay? The world will rejoice at the defamation of the name of Christ. The world will rejoice at the defamation of the name of Christ. You just have to look at the news, right? Right now, you have to look at the news. You know what? There are things that I am going to suffer for, um in my life because of some beliefs that I hold. I am going to suffer for them. For the cause of Christ. Not because I believe it's the right thing to do. I'm not talking about uh, the Second Amendment here. Okay, I'm not talking about my right to, to own a gun or, or whatever. All right? If I choose to, to suffer for that, that one's on me. Okay? That's, a, that's a United States freedom that I... I'm like, you know what, I, I choose to own a gun, and if you try to take it from me, we're probably going to have an issue. That's not suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ is 
taking a stand for the unborn. I believe that the unborn, those, those, those conceived are people. I've had several conversations with, with individuals that say, man, you love people so much, you care about people so much, you care about their needs, you're a pastor for crying out loud. Why don't you vote this way? And I said, you know what, I love life. Like It's hard, it's, it's hard for me personally to cast my vote in that direction. And I said, if that candidate stands for that, I said, I, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for me to vote for them. But we see states now, right? We see states that are, are passing their own laws and the world is rejoicing. We see companies saying to individuals, hey, listen, um, if another state approves it, um, abortion, we will pay for you to go to that state so that you can get an abortion. The world is going to rejoice. I will be persecuted for righteousness sake for my stance on homosexuality. I will be. At one point or another, it could be somebody's watching this on Facebook. If the Bible calls it a sin, it's a sin. I don't get to choose. It's not my preference, like my right to own a gun. That's, that's a preference. This is a biblical principle. The world will rejoice at the defamation of Christ. Pastor Stephen, um, Pastor Stephen shared with us a, a few weeks ago that the, the world will hate us because of Christ. And that is true. The world will hate us if we look like Christ. Guys, I'm here to tell you today that the world, if you look like Christ, it will hate you. It will see you as the enemy. And Jesus tells his disciples here flat out, you'll be weeping and lamenting and the world will be rejoicing. You will feel utterly alone ostracized, cut off from everyone else because everyone you know who is not following me is going to see this as a very, very, very good thing. And you're going to cry and you're going to hide. You will be sorrowful. And this is really the disciples' biggest feeling right now. Sorrow has pushed out everything else. Just like for me, fear had pushed out everything else. It didn't matter what they told me. It didn't matter if what I was doing was going to result in a shark, you know, thinking that I'm a baby seal, you know, at that point. Because we've all seen Shark Week and they put that fake baby seal out and the shark just goes straight up, you know, I mean, they're like 10 feet below me. They're in perfect striking, you know, position from everything that I've seen on Shark Week. I didn't care. I had the right plan in my mind. I was going the right direction in my mind. Even though everyone else was telling me, no, this is wrong. You will feel alone. You will feel sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. 
I'm just going to tell you guys, this is a hard, hard truth. That suffering can produce joy. We live in a world of suffering. Let's do an exercise here. Okay, let's get back to an exercise. So you've seen on Facebook, um, uh, Billy, my son, always, uh, he's got a real funny, if you guys want to, you know, to talk to him for a minute, but how uh, Facebook and people on Facebook try to guess your, your password, you know, and they ask you, oh, what's your pet's name, you know, and where, what street did you grow on and where you live, you know, when you grew up or whatever, and they ask you all of these questions and pretty much you're giving them your password um, at that point. I, I think there was a point in my life where, uh, you know, one of my passwords was uh, a jersey number that I wore, you know, for baseball. And uh, the other thing that was connected to that was either the fact that I played the drums or the fact that I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. It was really easy to figure out what my passwords were to my, to my email if you, if you knew me. But another game that, that is played is basically this, um, this game where you get the most points. So if you have a pen and you've got your paper there, um, you are going to give yourself a point for every one of these that apply to you, okay? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to single you out. Uh, we're also not going to come up with a winner. Well, we will pick, come up with a winner. Um, but it's probably not, well, it definitely won't be anybody in this room. Okay, so uh, question number one. Give yourself a point if you had a rough childhood or a rough family situation. Give yourself one point. Number two. If people thought you were weird and you really didn't fit in, you just felt different. Number three, your siblings had an issue with you at some point. Okay, your siblings had an issue. I didn't have that problem. <laughs> I, was, I was blessed. Um, number four, you were lied to. Number five, you were ever made fun of. Number six, people constantly questioned you, okay? If you are a parent, a teacher, married, okay? People are always questioning. You've worked fast food. People are questioning. You're in the healthcare field. People are questioning you, okay? Number seven, been judged based on your race. Number eight, been judged based on your gender. Number nine, did not get something you really wanted. Number 10, someone you counted as a close personal friend turned out to be not a friend at all. Number 11, you've been abandoned by most or all of your friends at one point in your life. Number 12, you've been wrongly accused of something and taken to court over it. Number 13, you've been wrongly convicted of something. Sorry, that was 13. Wrongly convicted of something. Number 14, wrongly beaten for something. Number 15, wrongfully detained by authorities. Number 16, had someone try to kill you? <laughs> My mom's like, woo, yeah, that happened. 
sitting next to me. No. Um, we laugh about it. No. Um, number 17, if you've ever been homeless. Number 18, had someone lie about something you did. If you had a sibling, someone lied to you about something. Yeah, someone lied about you about something you did. And number 19, have you ever given a gift to someone that they rejected? Did anybody in the room get less than four? And if you did, you've either not lived long enough, you're lying to us, or you're incredibly naive because someone has lied to you, okay? Uh, My guess is that there are very few of us that would get more than 15 of these. But there may be some of us who got 15 of them. My guess is that there is uh, a possibility that some of us could have gotten, or one of us could have gotten 19. But we haven't got to number 20 yet. How many of us have ever died for a friend? See, we look back on the life of Jesus. We think, man, Jesus knew everything. Jesus had perfect fellowship with the Father. He was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He was God. Man, it'd be great to be God. Let's go back. Number one, a rough childhood. Well, Jesus was was born of a virgin. Had to probably face ridicule on a daily basis. So who's your dad again? Oh, right, yeah, it's God. Yeah, we'll buy that one. Weird, never really fit in. Well, he was God. He wasn't really going to ever fit in because he was God. Um, Siblings had an issue with him. At one point, his brothers thought he was crazy. Um, He was lied to on multiple occasions, multiple occasions, made fun of on multiple occasions. Uh, The Pharisees were constantly questioning him, trying to to get him caught in his his own words, which would never happen. Um, He was judged based on his race and judged based on his gender with the woman at the well. Right? I mean, she said, you're a Hebrew, why are you a Jew, why are you talking to me? And you're a man. Um, Again, judged on both of those. Uh, He didn't get something he wanted. Jesus tells us in his woes, in his his woes to, um, to Jerusalem, that he longed to gather them together. That he wanted all of Israel, all of Israel, to repent and accept him as the Messiah. He didn't get it. Someone you counted as a close friend turned out not to be a friend at all. I think we all know what this one is, right? There's an obvious answer here in Judas. But there's also another answer. All of us. All of us before we came to know Christ were enemies with God. We may have thought we were friends, but we weren't. Um, abandoned by all or most of his friends. We know that Jesus was on the night of his arrest. Uh, Wrongfully accused of something and taken to court. Well, he went before Herod and Pilate and the Sanhedrin. Um, Wrongly convicted of something, same account. Wrongly beaten of something, same account. Wrongfully detained by authorities, same account. Had someone try to kill him? Multiple accounts. Seemed like at one point in his life, everyone was trying to kill him. 
been homeless. Jesus says flat out there's nowhere for the Son of Man to lay his head. Foxes have, you know, have a house. I got nowhere to go. Had someone lie about something you did multiple occasions, several times. Give a gift that someone rejected. Well, there's the gift of salvation, right? People reject it. People reject it every day. And then number 20, die for a friend. Um, I'm going to tell you another hard truth here. <laughs> Jesus suffered before he came to the cross. Jesus lived a life of suffering. But what was Jesus' reaction to that suffering? You know, we talk about the fact that if the world hated Jesus, it would hate us. If we look like Jesus, the world will hate us. How do we respond, though? How do we respond to that hatred? Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. If you get a chance this week, um, no, this week, I'm not going to ask you if you get a chance, I'm going to tell you to do it. This week, go back, reread this final discourse of Jesus, this last conversation he has with his disciples, and then read all of Romans chapter 8. There are so many parallels between the two. We sung about a few of them this morning that we'll talk about uh, next week about creation and, and the birth pains and, and things like that. There are so many parallels. But Romans chapter 8 verse 12 here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We are not debtors to the flesh. If we respond to the world with the way that they respond to us, with hatred, with disgust, with rejoicing when they are lamenting, we won't even talk about, you know, when, when President Trump won and we saw all of those college students crying, not being able to take tests. I know many of us in our hearts were like, yeah! Right? That's how the world responds. Is that how Jesus responds? No. That's how the world responds. They are debtors to the flesh. They live according to the flesh. And their reward for living according to the flesh will be death. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not re receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Whose son are you? Who are you indebted to? You know, when people meet you, when people in our church talk to you, what's the first thing that they see? Do they see someone who is living, falling back into this, this attitude of fear and slavery? 
Or as the beginning of Romans says, has there now been no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Have you been set free from being a debtor to the flesh? What's coming out? Is it discontentment? Is it fear? Listen, I'm guilty of this. There's so many times. I have been guilty of falling back into fear and allowing the circumstances of my life to dictate my attitude. And I wonder sometimes if when people see me, they see the pain and the hurt that I'm going through first before they see Christ. Paul's not done. Verse 6. The Spirit himself, uh, 16, I'm sorry. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now we have to break this down for a second here. And we're going to go back to the disciples here. What is the disciples' biggest issue that they don't understand, right? Why don't they understand? Why don't they understand? Somebody tell me why they don't understand, why they can't understand yet. They don't have the spirit, right, Ben? They don't have the spirit. They can't understand. Jesus is going to say in the next, in the next section here, in part two of this, oh, now you believe. You can't believe yet. You can't understand what I am sharing with you. Your joy has not been complete yet. How do we know if we are a son of God. I had the opportunity uh, two weeks ago to go up to Word of Life, and I had never heard it phrased this way. Um, but we had a pastor from Indiana. Um, some of you may know uh, Jonathan Engel. Um, it's his pastor uh, that, he, uh, that he is serving with out there. But he made a very simple statement. He said, you don't know if you're saved. You don't know if you are a child of God. And he went right to this verse. He said, you know what you need to do? You need to go ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit if you're a child of God. Is the Spirit producing fruit in your life? Is that what people see? Is that the first thing that people see? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Is that what people see? Is that the evidence that you are a son or daughter of God? Or is it all of my issues and problems? Is that the first thing that they see? I'm going to encourage you guys. Don't fall back. Don't fall back. Listen, this verse isn't saying we can never be sorrowful. This verse is not saying that we can never, ever experience suffering and have a time where we're like, man, I'm really hurting. Listen, we live in a world of hurt. If you're hurting today, I want to say first and foremost, I'm sorry that you're hurting. I really am. I truly am sorry that you're hurting. But our God, our God is bigger than your hurt. Our God is bigger than your sorrow. For these disciples, there's a reason they're feeling alone. It's because they have not yet been filled by the Spirit. And they're stuck 
They're stuck in their own thinking. They're stuck in their ways of saying, listen, God, uh, Pastor Stephen shared this before. He says, listen, it would be so much better if you just stayed. Like, that's the good plan. Stay here, overthrow Rome. That's the plan, God. Get on board. And Jesus says, no, I got to suffer. I'm going to suffer. In response to suffering, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is my go-to response to suffering fear? Is that my go-to response? For the disciples right now without the Spirit, that's their response. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. I've never experienced uh, childbirth. I'm glad I've never experienced childbirth. I don't pretend to know anything of what women go through. There's nothing I can, I can possibly compare it to, no pain that I've ever had, Nothing. I I will never, ever experience it. But there's the anticipation, right? There's that anticipation of of a new life. Uh, You know, for grandparents, it's it's amazing. I saw a picture of Cindy with with her new her new little little grandbaby and her face. Oh my goodness. Like it's like, oh now grandparents get the, you know, get the privilege of not having to go through that pain and they get to experience the joy. But a mother has to go through the pain. And that pain can sometimes last for days. I mean, not just hours. Like, I've heard horror stories of women in labor for days. Women who have been uh, bedridden because they're getting early labor pains. And sometimes they're bedridden for months. What Jesus is saying here is when that hour comes... There's pain, but the joy, the joy after the pain is over, it makes the mother stupid enough to do it again. Now, uh, you know, I mean, that's, it's true, right? I mean, look at some of our families, you know, uh, Mary obviously just kept forgetting, you know, Mary Sayer, she's not here today, but she kept forgetting, um, you know, uh, we'll see if, if Hannah forgets here, um, you know, eventually, um, Serena is getting ready to remember again, um, but she'll forget again. I guarantee you, Julie has not forgotten, and we are never going through that again. She is never going, I'm not going to say we, she is never going through that again. But the joy for the momentary pain, this is, this is the illustration that Jesus uses, and it's perfect. He says, listen, you guys are going to suffer for a few days here without me. But then you will see me again. Just for a few days. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough for you. It's going to be excruciating for me. He doesn't share that with them, though, does he? He's focused on them and their needs. Guys, if we want to be like Christ... 
if we want to be like Christ and show the Spirit, there are times where we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. This is a perfect example of how Christ did that. He's not concerned with the cross. He's not concerned with that when he's talking to his disciples. He's concerned with them. And he knows the reward that they're going to get. Remember last week in in chapter 16 in the beginning that the reward is so much greater. He says the same thing here. The days or sometimes months that you, you struggle with the pain of childbirth here in that hour is nothing compared to the 40 or 50 years of joy until they break your heart. But the 40 or 50 years of joy that you have with your child. Momentary suffering. We'll talk about that next week. Again, if you read um, Romans chapter 8, you will see this term, a momentary suffering. The hard truth that we learn here is that suffering for Christ is a blessing. Suffering for Christ is a blessing. If you go back to to Romans here in uh, chapter 8, verse 16, remember we said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering for Christ is a blessing. It doesn't feel like it though. Our flesh is going to say no. Our flesh is going to say, back up here. Verse 22 of John chapter 16. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. We're going to stop there for a second because I want you to see two different things here. There's only one way to interpret the last part of this verse, which we haven't gotten to yet. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is not revealing everything to them for a reason. He's going to tell them flat out that I'm not telling you everything because you can't bear it right now. But Jesus says, listen, when you see me again, your hearts will rejoice. What was, the, what was the, most of the apostles, what was their reaction to, to seeing Christ? It was rejoicing, right? The only one that you could say, well, maybe he was like, you know, let me, let me put the fingers in the, in the holes and things like that. And then did it, you know, afterwards. He might be the only one that you could say, well, he didn't initially rejoice. But then he rejoiced. The disciples on the road to Emmaus. The two men, after they're done talking with the risen Lord, what do they say to each other? Did our hearts not burn? Didn't it it burn within us as he was speaking? They rejoiced so much that they turned around and they went back. They're like, yo, something awesome happened on the road. You're not going to believe it. And they shared stories. They rejoiced together. They had 40 days of teaching with Jesus rejoicing with him. And then the end of the verse here. And no one will take your joy from you. Jesus promises here that your sorrow, your suffering, 
your pain, your fear, everything that you are panicking about right now will be turned to joy. And there is rejoicing, but there is a joy that comes that cannot be taken away from you. What's the major thrust of last week's, last week's message here? Who are we talking about primarily in there? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit seals us. We are given a pre-reward here. We are given something that the world does not have. Yes, it may look like the world is rejoicing. Yes, it may look like the world is winning. But we understand as Christians that there is a joy that comes from the Spirit that cannot be taken away from us. Why do I believe that he's talking about the Holy Spirit here? Well, verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Why? Well, because Jesus has already told us in this final discourse here that the Spirit will come and the Spirit will teach you all things. He will remind you of my word. He will speak what he hears and he will teach you. You will have no need of anyone to teach you When the apostles experienced Pentecost, when those early disciples experienced the Holy Spirit coming on them, the question of a little while, the question of suffering, the question of the fact that Jesus was with them and then gone and then they saw him again and now they truly see him in the Spirit, in the fact that Christ is dwelling in us, that we are empowered by the Spirit, this is the greatest gift that we can receive on this earth. And they'll stop questioning. They'll stop wondering why. Why did we have to suffer, Jesus? Why did you have to die? All going to end. Because they will have the Spirit inside of them. The other reason I think it's talking about the Spirit here, and I think there's pretty good evidence for it, is because of the following verse. And we're going to treat these verses as a transition here. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the... I'm sorry. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, it will be given to you. Well, wait a minute. Jesus just said, you're not going to ask anything. And now he's saying, you're going to ask something. I think he's speaking of the Holy Spirit and he's answering their question from before. A little while. I don't understand. I don't understand why you have to leave. Jesus has been playing with them before and he says it's for your benefit. Whatever you ask uh, of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I'm going to give you a teaser for next week here. We're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue in Romans chapter 8 here. But do you understand that with the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because Christ was sent by the Father, that the Spirit dwells in us, that Christ completed the work on the cross here, we now have a high priest in heaven who can sympathize with us in all things and in all areas. 
You may not know this about the Holy Spirit. You may have heard this verse before, but not fully understood it. In Romans, when it talks about the fact that the Spirit intercedes for us in groans and utterances, what that literally means is that the Spirit knows what we need in order to accomplish the will of God. And when Jesus says here, listen, that your joy may be complete, that what you ask you will receive. Again, I've said this before. It's for God's glory and God's purpose. I'm not going to ask the Spirit that I hit the lottery. I'm not going to ask that of Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that whatever be done, be done to God's glory. I'm going to ask Jesus to use me in whatever way he can. And guess what, guys? In asking Jesus to use me, I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to be the popular guy. I'm not going to be the guy that everybody runs to. At least the world runs to. I'm going to be the one that they shun. Will you be the one that they shun? Will you be the one that reacts as the Spirit wants you to react? Will the Spirit produce a joy in you that when you face sorrow and trouble and trial, that's the first thing to come out is joy. We'll continue this next week. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, as we continue on here on earth, God, Lord, there are times that we feel alone. God, there's times that we feel abandoned. There's times that we feel confused by what you do. God, let us realize that your suffering is for our benefit. God, as a church here, in the past two years, we have suffered. God, we have suffered greatly. God, it's not just the things that have been going on in our country. Lord, it's things that have been going on inside of our body. Lord, we lost. We lost, but we, we gained in you, God. Lord, as we continue on here, God, as we suffer on this earth, as we experience sorrow, God, as we, as we move through this earth, Lord, let us walk as you walk. God, let us respond as you respond. Not with disgust, not with judgment, not with they should know better. They're not going to know better. God, you have given us your spirit to reveal the world, to reveal to the world sin. As we read last week, God, your spirit convicts of sin. It condemns the world. God, we pray as we continue on here, Lord, that in love and joy, we would take forth your word. Realizing that it is not by our eloquent speech, Lord, but it is by your words. The words that you have revealed to the Spirit and that the Spirit reveals through us. God, let us continue your work here. In Jesus' name, amen.